One of my favorite books is Inside Out. Real change is possible if you're willing to start from the inside out by Christian psychologist Larry Crabb. In his book, he surprised me with this story. Some time ago, my wife and I were on our way to our favorite pizza restaurant. In the backseat of the car was another couple, good friends. I was at the wheel feeling quite confident in my ability to not only drive the car competently, but also to find the restaurant. I'd been there many times before. I approached 2nd Avenue driving east on Glades Road. The restaurant was located a mile north on 2nd Avenue, requiring that I turn left from Glades. I therefore eased the car into the left-hand lane, stopped because the light was red, and pressed the left-hand turn signal. After a few moments of waiting, the light turned green. Before I had a chance to put my plan into action, my wife said, take a left here, honey. Five simple words. Take a left here, honey. And I felt furious. I jerked my head toward her, snapped, I know, and stepped on the gas. Everything in me wanted to turn right. But my desire... But my desire for pizza outweighed my desire for revenge. So I turned left. Words flooded my mind, begging for release through my mouth, expressions of something other than appreciation for her help. Because friends were in the car with us, I chose not to share those words with my wife. I felt angry, far more so than my wife's apparent lack of confidence in my navigational skills seemed to justify. I could have honestly stated that I was deeply committed to my wife, but at that moment, the commitment was barren of emotional warmth. Under my capable direction, we drove down 2nd Avenue until we saw the huge, well-lit sign that announced, Pizza! Just as I prepared to turn, my wife pointed and said, Here it is! My rage doubled. <laughs> Why? Certainly a host of questions, some a bit threatening, emerges from this rather ordinary incident. What does the intensity of my anger say about my level of maturity? Was my wife really not sure I knew where I was going, or was she acting out of casual habit and a real desire to be helpful? How should a husband best handle angry emotions toward his wife? Discuss it later? Label himself too sensitive and forget it? Get things in perspective by rehearsing her good points? Spew out his feelings in the name of honesty? Repent of his anger and ask God's help to be warm? Most attempts to think through a common marital tension like this one fail to probe deeply enough into the real roots of the problem. Exhortations to overlook it and be less touchy or to communicate openly about feelings in an effort to promote mutual understanding ignore a penetrating question that needs to be asked. What do I deeply desire that was not provided in that interaction? Perhaps an inward look could uncover a more fundamental flaw that, if corrected, could lead to better husbanding. We long for both respect and involvement, impact and relationship. We are thirsty for what our soul thrives on. In the desert of a fallen world, our soul is parched. Emotions take us to the highest heights. They, they drown us in the lowest of lows. They pull us and they push us and they, they squeeze us and sometimes we're off by the side of the road in tears or off by the side of the road in amazement or off by the side of the road just in prayer trying to figure out how did I get here? What does this mean? What is happening? Why does this emotion seem to be getting the best of me? I hope you will identify 
an emotional moment in your life today and find the courage and a plan for change. In Proverbs 25, 28, we read in the NIV, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. In the message, it's put this way, a person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. There's something about control, self-control, that's important when it comes to our emotional lives. In Proverbs 22, 24 through 25, again, in the NIV, we read, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. In the message, we read it this way, don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. So there's something about emotions that is contagious. A big flashing sign emerges as we move into the New Testament. It's Galatians chapter 5 where there's a famous passage about the fruit of the Spirit. Let me read some of Galatians 5 to you. Again, I'll read it from the message because I think it's more accessible and easy to understand. My counsel is this. Live freely animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. So then Paul makes a list. I will read several of his points. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Magic show religion, paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper, divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. I could go on, Paul says. And then we get to the fruit of the Spirit, verses 22 and 23. In the New English translation, we read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, you'll never get in trouble if these are coming out of your emotional life. Which one gives you a struggle? I could name a couple for myself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And the message it's put very eloquently. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. 
since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we'll not compare ourselves with each other as, as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. James comments on emotions this way. Where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not from this, from your passions that battle inside you? In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul writes, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. When misused, our emotions rob us and others of life. When suppressed for the wrong reasons, our stifled emotions numb the experience of life itself. When infused with God's power, our emotions give us the color and depth of everything in life, and life experience becomes real rather than something counterfeit. Dealing with our emotions is important relational work. It's something we should do. They are the dream makers. Emotions are the dream makers, and they are the heartbreakers of life. I'm going to guess that there's an emotion in your life right now that you need to understand better. I'm going to guess that there was an emotion in your life sometime this week that kind of turned you around or got you sad or an emotion that made you feel something that maybe was uncomfortable or you didn't want to feel. I'm going to guess that maybe there was some anger somewhere trying to, to peek through to a situation or a moment or a relationship. One of the best books on emotions that I've come across recently, much to my surprise, was written by the well-known pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley's had a, an extensive ministry that's just covered decades. And, and usually he's writing biblical exposition and things. So when I saw his book on emotions, I immediately got it. It's an excellent book. And I've taken much of, of my teaching this morning from Charles Stanley. I owe him a, a debt of gratitude for his wisdom. Um, he writes this in this great book. We cannot deny it. Emotions are powerful. We cannot see, taste, or touch them, but we are constantly affected by their forceful presence and the incredible influence they have over us. They are able to alter how we view our day, other people, and even the major events of our lives. Through our feelings, we have the ability to enjoy amazing triumphs and experience deep fulfillment. In fact, some of the greatest accomplishments in history were fueled by the love enthusiasm and compassion of the people who achieve them on the other hand negative emotions left unchecked can lead us to some of the worst tragedies greed pride envy fear and hatred have destroyed lives and brought down empires let me take you back to a time and a time's time 1973 1973 and here i am in all my splendor and glory enjoying a piece of cake. Uh, what was I thinking? The tie is bigger than the shirt. Um, I thought I was pretty hip. I thought I was kind of happening. If a big wind came along, I would have taken off. Uh, you know, but, but the thing to realize about me in that picture is, although I'm trying real hard 
to be a functioning human being, at age 23, I was ruled by my emotions. I was thrown back and forth by emotions. I didn't understand my emotions. If I woke up and I felt something, I would go in that direction. If I woke up and I felt bad, I, I felt like I was consigned to feeling bad for the rest of the day. It's just all about emotional confusion at that point in my life. Here's the next picture. Now, this picture is actually taken on a different day in a different house. This is the house I, I grew up in. Here's my grandmother. What is she thinking? Can you see, see the expression on her face? Oh, Michael. Oh, if a big wind comes along, you're going to take off with that tie. Uh, you know, but she had to put up with me because she was a wonderful grandmother and she loved me so much. Um, but you know, why am I wearing the same clothes in different locations? Did I, did I, did I never change my clothes? You know, I have to wonder about things like this. Uh, but I was, I was out of control. I didn't know what to think or what to feel or how to interpret what it was that I was feeling. See, we have an emotional journey that we go through in our lives. And the first part of the journey is you allow your emotions to control you. And that was my life at that point of my life. I'm letting my emotions control me. I don't know any other way. Then you go into a different stage of your journey. You begin to apply discipline to your emotional life and you see that your emotions are led by your will. Your emotions are led by the application of discipline. They are put in abeyance. They back off. I remember the first time I thought, I don't have to just get up and feel bad. I can say I'm not going to feel bad today. And all of a sudden my emotions backed off and I didn't have to listen to them anymore. You begin to apply discipline to your emotional life. You become aware of patterns. The third stage is you become aware of your patterns. It's very important to become aware of your patterns. There's, there's a way that you feel and, and when, you, when you become aware of it, you go, you know, I felt that way before. And it only lasted an hour and a half, and I kind of got over it. And, and it kind of works this way. And every time I feel that way, I know there's a predictable order and pattern to that emotional aspect of my life. So you study yourself. You learn your patterns. You understand why they are the way they are and where they're going with your life. And then the fourth stage I call your emotions are a way God tells you about life. Your emotions are a way God teaches you about life because he gave you your emotions. He gave you the ability to feel just incredible amazement. He gave you the ability to, to, to be in grief at times and, and not understand why you hurt so bad. And he's teaching you things through all the emotions that he's giving you. And you're learning about life through the experience of emotion. Let me tell you what five steps are toward emotional stability. Five steps toward emotional stability. Number one, begin with God. Begin everything, every day, every moment of your life with God. If you've never come to that point in your life and you've given your life to him through his son, if you've never asked Christ to come into your life, do that today. I did that in February of 1971. It changed everything. Did it become a new person overnight? I did not. But it changed the whole direction of my life. It changed the, the goals of my life. That's where it all begins. Begin with God because he wants to help you with your entire life. And he wants to work with you and help you with the emotions 
that he put inside of you. So always begin with him. You cannot live a successful life on your own, my friends. You can go through the motions of life. You can maybe find a modicum of financial success or career success. But if you're going to go the distance, you only get through life with meaning and hope and purpose when it always begins, always begins in a dynamic and real and intimate relationship with God. Number two, examine the dream maker, heartbreaker thoughts that dominate your mind. If you want stability, you're going to have to look at what is maybe giving you instability right now. Maybe you're always thinking about this dream. You always have this, this idea that keeps coming back and coming back. Well, is it realistic? Is it, is it achievable? Or is it just something that inflates your ego? You have to take a look at the dream-making side. Maybe it is realistic, but maybe it's going to take a lot more work than you are willing to put in or a lot more work than you, than you realize. Examine the dream-making side of, of the domination of your thoughts. Examine the heartbreaker thoughts that dominate your mind. You went through something, it broke your heart, you didn't want it to happen, you didn't expect it to happen, and it happened. It just, it blew your life up. And you still go back and you think about it and you think about it and you think about it. And maybe by looking at it and giving it to God, you can finally let go of it. Maybe by, by looking at it and understanding the lessons that emerge from it, you can go, I can let this go now. It doesn't have to dominate my thoughts and create instability. I can turn it with God's help into something that creates stability. Begin to change your thought patterns to what God wants you to think about. We, we unconsciously believe a lot of things. Since we all grew up in families, families teach us values, they teach us principles about life, they teach us ways to deal with money, ways to deal with decision making, ways to deal with problems, ways to deal with the future. Everything we know about life is placed in us through our families. The only problem is that most of the time, at best, it's 65%, 70% correct information. Maybe it's 50% correct information. The work of being an adult is filling in the percentage that isn't correct with what God wants to teach you about life, with, with what God wants to show you is the real meaning of life. So you want to begin to change your thought patterns that can lead you into instability, into a stability by understanding the principles, the biblical parameters for your life, and all of a sudden things start to become clear and your life starts to have more order. Fourth, pray and listen. Read scripture and listen. You know, sometimes we're looking everywhere for an answer, and an answer is in a prayer. And an answer is in listening to what God wants to say to you, what God wants to whisper to you. God's in the business of helping you change. God's in the business of showing you something that, that you haven't seen or you've, you've turned your back to. God's in the business of creating you to be everything that he ordained for you to be that's his job so when you pray and listen don't be surprised of hearing from him don't be surprised that something all of a sudden shows up on the the radar screen that wasn't there before I, I remember a long time ago I was really struggling 
was something when I was in college. And, and, and I went to work that summer day, and I was working for a moving and storage company. And I was moving a box, and at the top of the box, I saw a magazine. And, and I picked up the magazine, and I opened it up, and there was an article that was exactly the issue I was struggling with. And it was like God said, here's an answer to your prayer. You want change? Read this and trust me and start to change. And God can show up like that or God can whisper something into your heart. Remember when that happened? Remember how you felt? Pray and listen. It is a real relationship that you're having with a God who really loves you more than you know. Read scripture and listen. 90% of God's will is already written down. Read the Bible. Read Proverbs. Read Psalms. Read Paul's letters. Read Jesus' words in the Gospels and, and hear what, what the Word of God might be saying directly into your life as an answer to the practical realities of your life. You know, that whole George Washington Bridge thing wouldn't have happened if somebody would have been paying attention to the Bible, right? I am so tired of hearing about the George Washington Bridge. I am so over that. But if somebody would have been paying attention to how to really act and how to do the right things, which is already outlined in this book, stuff like that doesn't happen, doesn't make the news. It's not what we have to listen to all the time. Expect God to show up all the time is the fifth step in the, the process of gaining emotional stability. You've got to know that he is going to show up. He is going to be there for you. You've got to look for his fingerprints on your life. You've got to look for him to speak to you sometimes through even another person who will tell you the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Scripture says. And sometimes somebody might have to say something hard to you about your emotional life that will help to bring the change that is needed. Charles Stanley wrote, so what are the painful wounds that you wrestle with daily? What false messages are driving your emotions? What ache do you feel in your heart? Perhaps they spring immediately to mind, or maybe you just don't know. Either way, spend some time in prayer now, asking God to prepare you for the journey that is ahead. There's some things that you shouldn't believe when it comes to emotions. Don't believe that emotion is a weakness. Emotion is not a weakness. It is a, a God-given gift to have all of the emotions that you have. You have to understand them. You have to work with them. You have to learn about them. There is no way that they are weaknesses. It is good to suppress emotion. Don't believe it. It's not good to suppress emotion. If you're feeling something uh, and it's, it's, it's bothering you and it's bothering you and you go, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to put it away. I'm not gonna, what's going to happen is it's going to explode at another place at another time. It'll come back to haunt you. It'll be bigger. It'll be scarier. It'll be out of control. Don't suppress your emotion. If you've got to talk about it, talk to God about it. Talk to a really good friend about it. But get it out on the table. Emotions control what I do. Don't believe it. That's that early stage of your emotional journey when emotions kind of throw you and rattle you and shake you. Emotions do not control what you do. You control what you do. You decide what to do with the emotion. 
by God's grace and with God's wisdom, you can have control over your emotional life. You can have stability. Emotions don't control what you do, but they do tell you something about what is going on. That's their job. They tell you about what's going on. I will never get over, fill in the blank. I will never get over. Think about what goes in that blank for you. Don't believe it. You will get over it. You will learn. You will grow. You will be changed. You will be different. You will be mature because God has a plan for your life, even your emotional life. And whatever you think is in that blank right now, I will never get over. God wants to put his hands on it. God wants you to look at it. God wants you to to learn from it and to be better from it and to be thankful for whatever it was that happened, even if it was a tragedy that you didn't want to happen. There is a way that it will become a gift to you. And you go, how can a tragedy become a gift? You might meet somebody along life's way that was overcome by that same tragedy. And you might be able to put their arms around them and say, that happened to me. Let me tell you how God picked me up from that and where I am today. We don't get through life without scars. We don't get through life unscathed. We don't get through life, as it was said in the drama, you know, it's not perfect. It's not perfect relationally. It's not perfect emotionally. The world is a very broken place, but it is always redeemed by whatever God wants to do in your life, which is why in 1 Peter 5, 7, I want you to remember this. If you've never written this down, write it down. If you've never underlined this in your Bible, underline it in your Bible. Keep it with you. It's one of the verses I think about a lot. 1 Peter 5, 7. Reading from the Amplified Bible because it kind of pulls back the layers. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's some places you may be struggling with emotionally today. I call this emotional volatility, emotional volatility zones in your life, a critical focus on yourself. You are your own worst enemy. You just criticize yourself all the time and you you bring up a negativity inside of yourself that you don't have to have. A fault-finding view of others, that sort of inside outs it, and now you just pick apart everybody around you who doesn't meet your expectations, who just isn't perfect and doesn't live up to your standards of what you think they should live up to. An avoidance of intimacy. When you're so hurting on the inside and you don't understand your emotions, it's so easy to go into this volatile zone of withdrawal. If you don't connect with anybody, then you don't have to feel anything at all. But the numbness is just not the answer for what God is trying to do in your life. An, incl an inclination toward, toward isolation. You're just going to withdraw. You're just going to hide. A preoccupation with image and counterfeit measures of worth. Uh, the world's going to offer you everything. And it all looks good. And some of it is good and wonderful. And when it's in proper perspective... It's very, very good. But the world's going to offer to you without a deep sense of what God wants from you. See, God wants a lot of good things for you so that he can use all the good things he's given to you for his 
purposes, for his honor, for his glory. So when you pursue success for his honor and glory, it's a wondrous thing. When you pursue success for your own personal self-aggrandizement, it's not a good thing, and it'll get ugly after a while. Always live for the joy of success being a reflection of God's grace and God's gift to you. And then finally, there's this volatility zone of a bitterness you carry. You carry it in your pocket or your purse like a crotchety old friend. If I told you, well, you're going to have to carry around Ebenezer Scrooge before his, transforma before his transformation, after his, his night with the ghost, you're going to have to carry him around as this crotchety old crabby guy in your pocket all day long or in your purse so that you can look at him, so you can wave at him, so you can say, hey, I'm glad, I'm glad you're my buddy. You would say, why? That doesn't make any sense. Then why are you doing what you're doing? You're carrying around and nursing a bitterness that was from long ago or from last week or from last year. It doesn't work. It's just creating a, a zone of volatility emotionally in your life. In Hebrews 12, 15, in the Phillips translation of the New Testament, we read, be careful that none of you fails to respond to the grace which God gives. Be careful that none of you fails to respond to the grace which God gives. For if he does, there can very easily spring up in him a bitter spirit, which is not only bad in itself, but can also poison the lives of many others. In other words, if you don't see yourself through the lens of what God has given to you, forgiveness, grace, unconditional love, then you're going to hold this bitterness against somebody and that bitterness is going to hurt you and it's going to poison other people's lives because it just never works. It doesn't. It's time to admit that. It's time to forgive that and go on with your life. It doesn't mean that you have to have a relationship with someone who's been the most unsafe person in your life. It doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with them. It does mean you have to let them go and let it go. Remember my picture from 1973? So I finally had to get to a point where I changed that way of living. It doesn't happen overnight, though. Nine years after that moment, I was in a staff meeting at a church, my first church that I had a job at, and I blew up. I mean, I went ballistic in the meeting at the pastor of the church. And, and in retrospect, there were a lot of reasons that surrounded that time and that moment. But looking back, I've always regretted that time and that moment because it was my emotions that got the best of me. My emotions were out of control. You don't, you don't have to worry about changing yourself today or tomorrow or the next day. You do have to think about changing yourself over the next month, the next year, the next decade. Change will never happen unless you want it to happen. God wants it to happen. He's asking if you want emotional stability in your life. How could opening yourself emotionally to God help give you a sense of freedom in your relationships that you haven't had for a long time? My challenge is that you will pick one emotion that you need to talk to God about and that you will do that today. It's so easy. 
this afternoon we'll go back to watching football and then it'll be restaurant week it happens tonight and I'm already going you know it's like I'll be there uh, you know we just get and it's just the Super Bowl we get you know but this this kind of work this is really your life this is what God really wants you to do pick one thing that is bringing you down taking you off track and say God right there with this emotion will you help me will you take this in your holy hands and work with me in this and so late last night God wrote you a letter dear friends right now you have lots of feelings about lots of things you may be a minute away from being angry for the 10th time this morning. When someone says the wrong thing to you or does the not so bright thing as you define both, you're on the verge of a pyrotechnic explosion. Or you may be ready to take your, set your clock by a plunge back into a bitterness that's been nursing on a hurt from several years or decades ago. The hurt is a little dried out these days, but it's still there like a crumbling leaf pressed into the pages of the book of your mind. You may even be on the cusp of embracing your imagined helplessness one more moldy time. Despair advances quickly upon precise drumbeats as the emotion of fearing change overwhelms a possible future covered by grace. The real emotion emerging from all of this is sadness. My sadness. I made you for more. I created emotion so that you would thrill at the many shades and colors of love. I created feelings so you would laugh and cry and hold on to every moment of every day. I created anger so you would know how to make things right. I created grief that you might wrap yourself in darkness until you could dance again. I created trust so you would be protected. I created excitement so you would seek to achieve. Every what might happen next day is my gift to you. While sunrise presents dream making and heartbreaking potential as I know so well, each day launches you into the transcendent experience of knowing me fully. I will infuse your dreams with a joy that breaches the boundaries of this world. I will redeem your heartbreaking days with lessons about forgiveness and faith and hope and maturity. I will light your fragile, meandering years with unconditional love, knowing that one day you will understand how your emotions only birth a vaporous glimpse of what is to come. Always know, whenever you melt into a moment of happiness, whenever you disappear into pure elation, I am, I am there with you whispering, this is a hint of what is to be your life forever. Always know, whenever you feel tired and about to give up feeble prayers, unruly emotional pressure so paralyzing to your thoughts of me, I am there whispering, this will end. I am with you now, even as your heart is breaking. On your best days, a wide variety of emotions may describe the map of your future, but no matter how wide or high or deep they are, they can never tell the story of how I'll get you there. So trust in me with all your hearts. I will get you there. I will always get you there. God, dear Heavenly Father, we sometimes really struggle with our emotions and sometimes they overwhelm us and we don't know what to do. We, we don't know how to find that stability that changes everything. So please, Father, 
Take that one emotion today that's really unsettling us. Put your holy hands upon it and lead us in a way that brings hope and integrity to our lives. Give us that sense of walking with you into a future that's good and real, that makes a difference in the world, that makes a difference in the relationships of our lives. Father, help us to survive our emotions. You gave them as great gifts. We receive them as gifts now from your holy hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.